Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, welcome to the Bugle Ashes Zoltzcast. I am Andy Zoltzman, and today we look back on the first day of the second Ashes Test in the third season of the Stokes and McCullum S&M English Cricket Revolution. I'm counting two summers and one winter in that to get a nice one, two, three at the start of this show. Now, I write all my introductions to this show in advance of the day's play that we're looking at. Um, so let's just find out which one uh, is most appropriate. Uh, England won the toss at Lords in helpful bowling conditions and with their masterful array of high-class scene bowling artists exploited the conditions perfectly to reduce their overconfident opponents to, to rubble. Uh, didn't quite happen. Uh, Australia won oh. the toss in helpful bowling conditions and came up against the unstoppable batting juggernauticals of the baz-ballisticious England lineup. Zach Crawley clattering six fours off Pat Cummins' first over, reducing the Australian captain to tears before Ben Duckett repeatedly slashed the ball <laughs> aerially through gully for a smorgasbord of un unstoppable boundaries, taking England, England to lunch at 243 for... No, no that didn't quite happen uh, either. Could do, though. Uh, it could do. Well, could do tomorrow. Uh, let's try another one. Uh, England won the toss in helpful bowling conditions, chose to bat first to everyone's surprise. Zach Crawley hit the first ball of the match for a majestic fall through the covers, as he simply always does. England declared immediately at four for naught, bowled Australia <laughs> out in those helpful bowling conditions for just 83, as expected, and had flayed their way to a 180-run lead before declaring again 13 minutes before the close and taking a cut. No, that didn't, that didn't happen either. Oh, here we go. Uh, England won the toss in helpful bowling conditions and Australia ended up 339 for five, putting England on course to fulfil Zach Crawley's pre-match prediction of a 150-run England win. Now, to get a 150-run win, you'd think England would have to bat first, but that is how confident this Stokes-McCullum <laughs> side is. They wanted to do it in a spectacular way, and to win by 150 runs in a way that will get people talking, they had to bowl first concede a big score, then get bowled out, follow on, go massive in the second innings, set Australia 250 to win, and skittle them for 100 on day five. Absolutely bang on course. It couldn't have gone any better for England to discuss this wonderful first day on course for Zach Crawley's pre-match prediction coming true. I'm joined by producer Chris. Um, Chris, you're going to find me some questions about day one. It was... It was I mean, a suboptimal day for England, given that everyone before before the start of play was saying, "Oh yeah, this is you've got to bowl first here." 
I mean, I'm looking at the upsides of this, Andy, and I think England's spin bowling, spin bowling <laughs> all-rounder Joe Root was clearly the star of the show. Yes. And and that that is about as far as I can go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a little bit worrying, wasn't it, given that Australia have uh, an off-spinner who got eight wickets in the first test, is uh, on course for 500 wickets in his mm. career very very soon and Joe Root span one about a yard and a half to have Travis Head stumped on day one Look, Joe Root if he keeps going when he's 60 he can get to 500 <laughs> wickets too maybe his batting has just been you know it's locked in this you know England's greatest yeah. ever off spinner who knows yeah. I, I believe yeah. he's the he's the uh, spin bowling Darren Stevens. <laughs> um so, uh, Andy, talk, talk to us about the toss. Well, this was important, right? Well, as as we predicted yesterday, Chris, the toss was absolutely crucial. Uh, it was cloudy. The the lights were on for most of the day. <laughs> oh, it was There was a green pitch. Toughers, who I, I worked with on TMS, played for Middlesex at Lord for his whole career, played for England for over a decade. He said he'd never seen a greener pitch at Lord's. It was the perfect <laughs> morning to bowl first. England won that toss. Dropped two catches and only got one wicket in the first session with the in the last over before lunch. So it, it it was the toss was crucial. Unfortunately, the first hour was then even more crucial, as was the second hour. And as I said, all the hours were crucial. Um, so it's still the the toss was crucial. It just then became decrucialized by how crucial the subsequent uh, crucial phases were. There was another uh, crucial moment very early on in 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 the game. Um, I, I make it the first time someone has run on the pitch in an England international since someone did a naked cartwheel between England and New Zealand three, four years ago. Oh, right. Uh, was, 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 the, was the crucial interruption stopped play the most crucial <laughs> bit of the day? Well, it's, it's possible. It was after only one over. Um, and it did it did bring about what, perhaps the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen on a, on a cricket pitch in Johnny Bairstow, England's wicketkeeper, who is a strong man, and you know yeah. he I think he played quite a lot of uh, rugby in his youth. Um, I'm not sure which code of rugby he played, but he is a, a strong man. You see that when he hits the ball as if he's trying to eradicate the entire concept of spheres from the universe. <laughs> he is a powerful man, and he picked up one of these protesters. And just carried him all over the boundary for six. Um, it, it was so that was, that was a good sort of seventy yards up the Lord's slope as well. He just picked him up and carried. They have the world wife carrying competition in. Um, I can't remember. Where it's in. Is it in Finland or or Sweden? I can't, I can't remember. We have talked about that on the main bugle. I think it in the past. Yeah. And maybe this could be a this could be a new angle for cricket. The uh, protester carrying championships. Um, it could be something that could spice up. T20 cricket and, and the 100 if you just have a random incursion you get an extra bonus 15 runs if you can carry the uh, incursor uh, off the pitch it was totally extraordinary and of course it raised the question as some um, statistician on the radio might have pointed out how would Ben Folks have responded had he been wicketkeeper in that same situation as a, probably every cricket uh, Twitter person responded straight away but I think more importantly is let's not forget that if folks had been picked, Bairstow would still have been in the team. So that still would have happened. He'd just have had to come from third slip instead of from wicketkeeper. He might have even done it better because he wouldn't have had pads and gloves on. But it was a truly extraordinary thing. And Johnny, Johnny Bairstow is not someone 
that you uh, would want to rile in any way. He is an intense man and a very, uh, very powerful one. So it was a rather strange start to the day, and the protesters didn't get onto the pitch with their orange, uh, orange dust. Uh, otherwise, the ball might have spun even more. Who knows? Um, but uh, and it did make me think. You know, were there any other cricketers who would have dealt with it better than Bearstow? Only one springs to mind, and that was a, a chap called uh, Johnny Douglas. J.W.H.T. Yes. Douglas, who was England captain at either side of the First World War. He was also Olympic boxing champion at the London Olympics in 1908. So I think he might have dealt with it, maybe not with the wrestling move. that best. You can't wrestle someone over 50, 50 to 70 metres, can you? But it, I think he might, have, uh, he might also have done a good job. I think one thing I'm I'm really keen to find out, Andy, is does one of folks or Bearstow drive an electric car? <laughs> Well, why is that? did that influence Bearstow's oh, decision? Oh, I see. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think we can necessarily interpret that because of the way Bearstow dealt with the Just Stop Oil protester, he's therefore massively in favour of fossil fuels. Um, <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to ask him. Uh, we talked on the preview about uh, Josh Tongue, yeah. his record against top level batters, yes. which. I think you said wasn't particularly impressive, yeah. but but that that was a <laughs> it was a better day for him yesterday than yes. many of the other England well, bowlers. Well, that's uh, yeah. The, I mean, the thing with well, stats and data is they sort of give you well, they tell you what's ha- what has happened, um, and what is like I guess what's likely to happen based on that. But you you get exceptions to that, and they've picked Josh Tongue as a bit of a hunch that the, you know the stats uh, don't didn't really suggest there was anything there. They've seen something they like in terms of the kind of bowler he is, the pace he has, the way he bowls. And he got Usman Khawaja and David Warner out. Khawaja, uh, as he faced that ball from Josh Tung, was sitting proudly with the highest ever average as a test opener in the entire history of the game from players who've opened 15 times or more in test cricket. I think he's still top of that list despite being out. He bowled him, Khawaja left the ball that came in viciously, mm. hit the top of the stumps. He bowled David Warner, who bowled, batted really well yesterday. And Tung bowled this over, which got an inside edge for a couple that nearly bowled him. He played and missed that went a ball that went over the stumps and swung past Bairstow that was basically unplayable. And then he pitched one a slightly further up that hit... Swung in, went through Warner, and n- literally knocked the top off leg stump. The stump, the top bit of the stump, snapped off. It was an, a brilliant over and a phenomenal piece of bowling. And yeah, it did suggest that this selectorial hunch, they what they've seen, could could clearly work in Test cricket. He was a little inconsistent the rest of the day. Still went at four and a half and over, but they were two sensational deliveries, and uh, that sort of gave England a foothold in the game at a point where it looked like like the morning was going to be a complete uh, disaster. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, the, the problem with him taking those wickets, particularly for the other England bowlers, was and for all the fans in the stadium, was was that was that it brought Smith and Labuschagne to the crease. Yes. Um, so I mean, I, I don't know who of those you want to focus on. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe Steve Smith, as he is still 
threateningly there. Yes. Well, he he came out and he sort of flayed the ball all over the place. He reached 24 or 15 balls. Uh, took him another few to get to 25, but it was his second fastest quarter century of his test career. And he's got a lot of quarter centuries, an underrated <laughs> stat, the quarter century. Uh, but then he, to- he, he was given out. Uh, and overturned it on review, and then sort of mm. totally went defensive and scored, I think, 20-odd off the next 80 balls while getting a little more positive by the end, ended up 85 in reasonable time by by the end. And there were moments of frailty. I still don't think he's looking quite as impregnable as four years ago, but it was a, a you know extremely well-crafted innings, difficult conditions, had to, you know, the ball was moving basically all day, and he managed to, to get through it with his almost surrealist... I think he learned to watch. Uh, he, I think he learned to bat while studying Picasso paintings from because the, all the angles don't quite make sense, but somehow it works as a coherent whole. So he's looking ominous. If he if he gets another fifteen runs, it'll be his eighth hundred in England, which will put him uh, clear second behind Don Bradman, who had eleven hundreds in England, most hundreds in England by visiting players in in Test cricket. Um, Marnus Labuschagne. Uh, well, he's, he's he's had a bit of a tr- tricky run recently. Um, his last ten tests, he's only he hasn't had a hundred. Uh, he's only had two fifty-plus scores. He's averaging thirty-four, which isn't mm. terrible. Seventeen innings, but he's only been out in single figures twice in those seventeen innings. He's only faced less than twenty balls once. That was his edge bast and golden duck in the first innings of this series. So he's been getting in, and previously when he was getting in, he wasn't getting out. His previous twenty-five tests before this run, six average sixty-seven, ten centuries, twelve other fifty-plus scores. So whether that little bubble of intensity he had, it almost sort of burnt itself out, and he mm. doesn't quite have the um, concentration, stamina. Uh, I don't know. He also got a good ball from Robinson. Robinson. So uh, it might be that he just got out. Uh, and he got a good ball from Robinson on 47. Just as on the radio, I was giving stats about how good Ollie Robinson was bowling to top-level players who were on 25 or more. So that was... Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, I don't want to dwell on this point, Andy. Broad, Jimmy, Robbo, despite that wicket, uh, I think I described you as them looking tired and bad. (laughs) Um, uh, What's going on Well, they certainly look tired and... You might have missed off the hyphen tempered after bad uh, there. Um, uh, but, well, it was a strange. I've looked at the the data, and uh, it, but it just shows how hard it is to interpret it. What, what does it really mean? Um, looking at England seamers in overs one to eighty when bowling first in England, fifty four innings in the database goes back to about two thousand and six. Mm. Um, now England bowl of England seamers bowled 40% of their balls on a good line and length. That's 12th best of those 54 innings. They're hitting the stumps percentage, which, again, is a stat that you've got to be a little careful with, but still 13%. That was the sixth most balls that would have hit the stumps by England seamers in overs 1-80. to They're often criticised for not bringing the stumps into play enough. So on that data, they, they created like 22% false shots. I remember looking up during, during play at one point. Mm. So it was one of those days where they didn't look great, but the data suggests they didn't bowl that badly. They just didn't have okay. the moments of luck, and then that, the narrative almost takes over. So I mean, you think that the almost the key moment of the, the two key moments early on, it, fielding errors by England. One was the drop catch by Root, very difficult low one-handed catch. I thought seeing it maybe best, I should have gone for it as wicketkeeper. Mm. Uh, so you sort of watch one go, and generally when the slips diving towards the wicketkeeper for a catch, you think the keeper should have got it. But on the replay. It was an unbelievable ball from Anderson that sort of started on leg stump, swung late across Kawaja, who nicked yeah. it. So Root was sort of 
unsighted and Bairstow was a bit unsighted and probably shifting towards where it looked like the ball was going before it swung really late and whilst it was sort of hidden from Bairstow by Kawaja's body. So essentially it was a ball that was too good, not just for the batter, but for the wicketkeeper and the slip fielder as well. If that's stuck, then you know, the day has a different narrative. Anderson gets a wicket, who knows what, what happens after that. Mm. The cricket's full of these infinite turning points where each uh, thing happens and each alternative narrative disappears in, into the ether. But I guess... So it's I don't know they clearly weren't great yesterday, <laughs> and there's a you know body language and what happens later in the day slightly colours our memory of what happened at the at the start. So it's a bit hard to interpret. Uh, you know they could have had a few wickets with better catching, with a bit of luck. Um, but yeah, at the same time they did look a, a little worryingly worryingly blunt at times. Stand back, it's a stat work. Uh, a quick stat whack uh, before we wrap up, Chris. The opening stand lasted 23.1 overs, 73 runs. Uh, seven of the previous nine Lords tests have seen a wicket fall within the first 26 balls. There's been a wicket within the first five overs in 11 of the last 19. Seven of the last 10, the team batting first, have been bowled out for under 190. Uh, so 339 for five. Uh, on a cloudy day is significantly suboptimal. Broad and Anderson had no wickets in the first 80 overs of a test innings in England for only the second time since Lords 2015 when ominously Steve Smith got a double century. Australia scored a uh, massive 501 by an enormous amount. That's counting innings where between them they've bowled at least 20 overs. Uh, England won the toss and bowled for the 105th time. It's only the 8th time that their opponents have got to 300 with 3 or fewer wickets down. Uh, as they were before those two wickets fell uh, towards the end at a point where it looked like Travis Head was going to break a significant number of records for fast scoring uh, for Australia at Lords and even in England. Joe Root took two wickets in an over for the first time in a home test match. And, yeah, Josh Tung bowling out the Australian openers. This was my favourite stat of the day. It was the first time an England bowler has bowled out as in hit the stumps of both Australian openers since John Snow in 1968 at Headingley, and the only other time an England opener, an England bowler has bowled both Australian openers out at Lords, was in the first ever Test at Lords in 1884. The bowler then, the legendary Ted Peat, and ominously, Chris, for teams batting first uh, at Lords and scoring 350 plus, which. Uh, Unless England can take the last five wickets for ten this morning, <laughs> they will. Uh, those team fifty-two times, twenty-nine wins, twenty-one draws, only two defeats. So for England to win from here, even with Zach Crawley's prediction, it's going to take something truly extraordinary. Thanks, Andy. Well, it's a pleasure. Um, uh, one just note of optimism, Chris, before we leave. Uh, last year at Trent Bridge against New Zealand, the second game of the Basbalistic Revolution, England won the toss, chose to bowl. New Zealand, end of the day, 318 for four. Not far off what Australia um, mm -hmm. are currently. Went on to score 553, and England won that game. So, okay. again, bang on course. Uh, I mean, it's a, uh, probably a better bowling attack. The balls uh, are probably um, not, not quite as stodgy as they were last year, and the pitch is not as flat as that one. But other than that, as I said, bang on course. Uh, thank you for listening to the Bugle Ashes Zoltzcast. We'll be back with a review of day two and a look ahead to day three. Between day two and day three. Goodbye. <laughs>